Well, good morning. I'm Tim Rogers, lead pastor here at Grace Point. Uh, good to see you guys here in person, and good to see you online. Uh, thank you for joining us. Uh, you caught us in the second part of a series we're calling Perseverance, and I want to start by telling you a story about um, a guy that I have never met, but I have read about that maybe you've heard of before, and, and you may not have. It's a little bit of a niche um, interest, and that is a guy named Tyler Hamilton. Tyler Hamilton used to be a professional bike racer. He used to race with a now-disgraced guy that you've probably heard of, Lance Armstrong. Back in the day, he rode for the U.S. Postal Service, and as he, as he described the first day of, of his professional um, biking career, here's how he described his first race, which was an individual time trial. He said something to the effect of when he was sitting at the top of the ramp, about ready to release and go down, he was nervous as all get out. He was racing next to the people that he had grown up admiring. It was a wet day, and the course was full of twists and turns, and hay bales on the side would keep you from sliding off into the concrete. But he got down the ramp, he started going, and he said as he got into the course, his nerves finally gave way as he began to feel something that he was very used to feeling. And he began to feel, if any of you ever worked out hard, you begin to feel the lactic acid buildup in your legs. And that's a burn, it's a pain. Your legs are starting to tell you, you should slow down. He said, as soon as I began to feel that, I thought, I'm just starting to get going. I'm going to push further still. And then he tells the story of how he felt the lactic acid build from his legs come up into his chest, and then he thought, I'm going to go further still. And then he describes how he felt that pain, that lactic acid hurt and burn under his fingernails. And then he said, and now I'm pushing further still. And then he said, it's when I tasted the blood in my mouth that I knew I was on. And that's why I love bike racing. And I'm like, you're a moron. <laughs> right? Like, I mean, all of us, I don't know about you, but I usually dial it down when I feel it in my legs. Because that's my body telling me there's something not right here. Like, you should dial it down. He went from the legs to the chest to the fingernails to blood in the mouth. And he's like, man, now, now I'm in. Now, I don't know about you. <laughs> But for me, when the pain increases, when the pain increases, my vision for the exit door gets clearer, <laughs> right? As soon as things start getting harder, I almost just instinctively want to dial it back and find a way out. Now, part of that is our body saying, hey, you should slow down. But at the same time, what Hamilton teaches us and what I think we teach ourselves is that our limits are actually beyond what we think they are. And if you've ever succeeded athletically in anything, you know that is the story. There's a reason why Hamilton turned pro, and I never will. He has a willingness to do that, and I simply don't. It's as simple as that. Now, there's other gifts that he has for sure, but that's the bottom line. Now, athletically, it's one thing, but I will say the principle holds in my life experience, and maybe in yours you would say the same thing. It also holds spiritually. When things get hard for me, in my relationship with God and my doubt that he's going to come through or the pain that I feel in relationships or in a distance from him. I feel the burn in my legs. I feel the burn in my chest. I'm like, I want to get out of this. I want to move on from it. How can I get out from under this pain? Do I need to move to a new place? Do I need to make new friends? Do I need to leave this and start that? Do I need to start this and stop that? What do I need to do, if anything, to get out from, to get out from under the pain of what I'm currently feeling? And this morning in our little series that we're doing called Perseverance, I kind of want to make this case, and then I want to invite you to engage it. 
And is this, I want to encourage you this morning, I want to encourage you today not to disengage before the hard work is done. That word disengage is important, and I want to explain it more as I go on, but I want to encourage you just today not to disengage before the hard work is done. Now, if you're thinking with me this morning, you might be saying, well, I'm fine to agree with that in principle, but your definition of when the hard work is done and mine might be different. How do I know when the hard work is done and when it's not? If you're asking me for, to hold on for a week, that's one thing. If you're asking me to hold on for a decade, that might be another. How do I know when the hard work is done, and how do I know how long to hold on? We're going to talk about that here this morning. You caught us in this series, we're, we're calling it Perseverance, but if you can read the fine print underneath, it's part of what we call our Conversations series. So it's a little bit different this morning than we normally do at GPC. I'm going to talk for just about, uh, you know, maybe just about two more hours, and then We'll have someone else come up and talk for a little bit. I'm going to talk about 15 minutes, and then we're going to have someone else come up and talk as well for about 15, um, so it's an abbreviated time, just so you know, a little bit different. We want to invite you to consider the principles of the Scriptures and the lives of people, real people, and what they w walk through. So that's what we're doing this morning in this series. But to get there, I want to invite you to turn to the, the biblical text that we're in in James uh, chapter 1. If you don't own a Bible, no problem. There's one in the chair near you. That's our gift to you. Uh, James, brother of Jesus. Um, he wrote this, and um, it's pretty powerful stuff that he wrote. A lot of questions I have to, to ask James someday, but James chapter 1, it's in the right two-thirds of your Bible, you'll find it there. James chapter 1, we covered verses 1 through 3 last time. We're going to hit verse 4 today, but to get to verse 4, let's at least read verses 2 and 3, and then we'll jump into verse 4. Verses 2 and 3 read this way. James writes, he says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Now, if we just stop there, one would have to ask the question, why is it valuable to have perseverance? Why is perseverance being held out as the thing that should motivate you and me to hang on during hard times? He's saying, hang on, allow it to complete, because at the end you'll get a gift, and it's called perseverance. Why do you want it? Or what's at stake if you don't get it? He goes on to explain it in verse 4. He says, let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. And this is the only verse we're looking at this morning, and there's a lot in it. And there's also some things that aren't in it that I wish were in it. I wish that we're, what were in it here is, James, how... How do I, those first three words, let perseverance finish, how do I know that I'm letting perseverance finish? Can you give me verse 5 that would explain that? Can you give me verse 6 or 7? How do I know when I'm letting perseverance finish its work? But what we can learn from this is that we can clearly choose not to let perseverance finish its work. In other words, let me go back to my Tyler Hamilton story. When our legs start burning we can choose to stop pedaling. And what James is saying is, don't let that first hint of pain have you pull off from the journey that you are currently on. Just because it hurts doesn't mean it's the wrong one. He's saying, let it finish. It's as if perseverance is its own thing working. He's like, let it go for a minute. Let perseverance finish its work. Now, let me just add this caveat. Um, there are some people I know right now who may or may not be listening to this at some point, I don't know, who um, should get out 
of hard situations that they are in. If you're in an abusive situation, relationally, emotionally, physically, spiritually, I want you to be careful what you hear this morning, because there are some of you who may need to actually get out in order to heal. What I'm telling this morning does not cover every single relational or spiritual circumstance. This is general advice from James for most things, but there are some times when you should move on. And just applying a universal, everybody must persevere through everything blanket isn't healthy, nor do I think godly or right to do. However, what he's saying, I think, generally applies to most things that we face, particularly spiritual challenges. Okay. With that caveat, let me go further. When I think about this question, I ask myself this question. This is what I wish James would tell me. How, James, do I let perseverance finish its work? Here's going to be my answer. This is not from the Bible. This is just from Tim. So that's worth exactly what you paid for it this morning. Okay? So here we go. Here's what I have to say. You can vet this. You can decide. You can help me with words or ideas. Help me make this better later on. Here's what I'm saying personally. I know I've not let perseverance do its work when I stop engaging God and others. Here's what that means to me. This word engage, I use at the beginning, I use it now, and I bolded it for a reason. I liken that to love. With great regularity, whenever I feel betrayal, it's an invitation to stop loving the world and people who are around me. In other words, to stop engaging. Parents who are engaged with their children love their children. Parents who've gone through pain and hurt or stress or challenge start to disengage because they don't have capacity or energy anymore to care for their children. They're not able to love them very much. Disengaging and engaging are critical ideas, in my world at least, for how I let perseverance do its work or don't. Let me put it in the context of relationships. If you ever lost a relationship, I know that when I stop engaging God and others, here's what that means, that I stop, I stop caring about any future relationships or stop caring even about the pain of the lost relationship. I stop engaging the difficulty of it. I stop caring if God was sovereign over that moment or not. I'll just disengage. I'll pull back. I'll pull back from God. I'll pull back from people because I don't want to be hurt anymore. I'm done. When I do engage, I wrestle with the pain of the unknown and the uncertainty of the future. I struggle with how to relate in future relationships, which may also cause future pain. I wrestle with why would God allow that hurt? Is he good? Really? Because how is that good? Really? I get angry with people. I get angry with God, but I'm engaged because I care enough, even in anger and disappointment and disillusionment, to believe that there is a God who is good even through the junk of what invites me with regularity to disengage. And so here's what I think, at least in my life, James is saying. Don't disengage 
too quickly from the stuff around you that's causing you pain. Let perseverance finish its work. And it is hard and harsh work sometimes. And it doesn't often come with a soft lullaby song in the background, with a promise of future rainbows and unicorns. But it does sand down our hard edges and invite us to see something different about who God is and maybe who people are and maybe, if we'll let it, who we are. That's what James promises. Because I would prefer to pull out of the race when the lactic acid builds up I don't let it get all the way to blood in my mouth. What kind of crazy person does that? James puts it this way. He says, let it finish. Let it finish its work so that, and here's why, here's the promise, here's why to let it build and why not to pull out too quickly. So that you may be mature and complete, he says, not lacking anything. Mature and complete, not lacking anything. Or in some versions, it says perfect and complete, not lacking anything. Those two combinations are important. Um, If you can imagine for a minute a group project that you've ever been assigned to in school, imagine one actually working well. I know that's hard to imagine. Um, But imagine that there are four people in an assignment, and everyone, every individual does their work really well. That's the perfect part, that every individual piece is perfect. But when you put them together, now it's complete. And this is the image that Paul has, or excuse me, James has here. That you can be perfect, if you will, in the individual things, that the individual parts of our lives, the way that I relate to you personally, the way that I think about my future, the way I think about who I am in God, all these little pieces that make up my life, all the little parts of my life can be matured or matured or made perfect or made better or made whole. And that in putting it all together, I can be made complete. Both are important, the small and the big. So you put that together and you have this idea of um, a group project that actually works. Everyone did their part and here we go. And it's a great promise, if it is a promise indeed. Maybe it's just an idea. Because ironically, as James keeps writing, we're not going to go through all of his letter, just a couple sentences later, he also acknowledges the honesty of the world. It's almost as if he's saying here in this section, he's like, if perseverance can finish its work, you're going to be an awesome, future, perfect version of yourself. You're going to be mature and complete. And your parents always wanted you to be mature. Now, here we go. Just let perseverance finish. And there's your golden ticket to being complete and perfect. But the world doesn't always work that way, and I don't always work that way. So here's what James writes, even just in a, a couple chapters later. He puts it this way. He says, we all stumble in many ways. Now, I might ask you, James, how can you say this? If I let perseverance finish its work, how do I still stumble in many ways? I mean, how is it that I still can have problems and struggle through all of what I go through? And I think I just wanted to be careful as we get into this concept that I'm not promising you more than what the scriptures and what God is going to deliver. That your life and my life is still going to be full of ups and downs, whether I like it or not, but hopefully with increasing maturity. Theologians call this idea sanctification. It's the idea of growing or maturing in Christ. And theologians also talk about two things, what they call positional and perfect sanctification. Positional is that sanctification in which before God I stand right before him. I'm what we call justified. God looks at me as perfect in his eyes because he looks at me through the blood of Christ and says, you are perfect. 
But yet progressively through life, I progress with ups and downs. It's not unlike a, a parent who looks at their child and will say to their child straight on, I love you to the moon and back. I love you perfectly. Like there's nothing more that you can do to earn my love. Positionally, I love you unconditionally and fully, no matter what you do. And yet that same child will also blow through curfew, steal their friend's toys, hit their sibling on the head with something they shouldn't hit, spit on somebody, maybe say a bad word now and then, do all kinds of stuff along the way of maturing. But it's in the relationship with a, with a parent in which the parent has already declared them, you don't need to earn favor, you're perfect in the sense of you, you have my love. And this is what life is like before our Heavenly Father, I believe, that God through Christ already looks at you and looks at me perfectly in the sense of positional love. But we progress, much like children, through ups and downs along the way because, James says, we all stumble in many ways. But if we will let perseverance finish its work, you will mature. You will become complete. And I just don't want for you, and I don't think you want for you, to pull out too early because I don't think there's another shortcut to growth than allowing the hard work of perseverance to build up in you. And it is deeply uncomfortable and very, very difficult. And the invitation is constant to disengage, to mail it in, to give up both on God and the people around you because you dare not hope that what you thought you believed as a child, as a child could possibly be true. And I get it. He's just saying, let perseverance finish its work, and it is tough. It is tough, but don't, don't give up on it. Now, the last question I ask is, when are we done? Not this morning, because you might be wondering that already. I mean, when are we done letting perseverance, fin perseverance finish its work? When's it over? Right? Like, if I'm in a hard situation now, God, is it going to be over in a year? Is it going to be over in three, six weeks? You know, when's it over? I think if you know life well enough, you know it's over when you see God face to face. And it ain't going to be over until then. It's never going to be over till then. There's always stuff to persevere through that's always going to continue. But that's the maturing and completion process. Now, in order to, to push this down, this is why we do this series, I want to push this down into uh, the nitty-gritty of life, into some of the hardest stuff that we've dealt with. Um, and so we have a special guest this morning. I'm excited to to welcome um, to the platform here in a second, um, this young lady right here. This is from 1973. So look out, I think there's only one or two people who were alive then. Yeah, just kidding, just kidding. And so would you welcome up here with me, Marie Glass. Marie Glass, come on up. Some of you have known this person as Miss Feuder. Did I get that right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I'm going to let you explain these pictures. These were under your permission, right, Marie? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So I've not totally blown it here, not yet, um, okay. with Marie. So tell us about these pictures, Marie. Well, as I was getting ready to share this little t talk, my husband, with all his tact, <laughs> Um, said maybe these wonderful young people that sit up front here could relate to me a little 
better if they saw the pre-wrinkled edition. <laughs> so we had to make a trip to the Pequay Valley Public Library to wow. unearth the 73 yearbook. Did you have to dig in the foundation for that, or was it right? <laughs> and um, the one on the left, my right, uh -huh, that's left right. is my best teacher face um, in my best 70s flowers. Um, as I was the art teacher at the high school. And the one on the right, now that's really special. That's Coach Feuder on the hockey field, trying to figure out which end of the hockey stick is which. <laughs> because newbie teachers at that time got drafted into unfilled positions. So I became a JV hockey coach. I never played field hockey in my life. I knew one word, rush. That's all. And there's not much more you need at the JV level, I'll be honest I with guess. you. Yeah. That covers a lot. That covers a lot. Uh, Marie, thanks for being, uh, being willing to be up here and join us here this morning. Um, many of you know Marie from her work in the community and just being around here at GPC, and her husband, Rich, is hanging out right there in the corner. Um, well, right here. There you go. There you go, Rich. <laughs> Um, that's about as big a wave as you want to give, which is totally fine. Um, Marie, can you kind of frame up for us here this morning um, what we're going to be talking about? In other words, what happened uh, in terms of your story uh, relating to your father um, and, and these things? Okay, th this was at the end of that 1973 school year. And um, if you can count, that was nearly 50 years ago. Um, I was 26 years old. Can you make sure to keep, keep you're fine, just keep it there. You okay. Go. There we go. Thank you. I was 26 years old, unwrinkled, <laughs> and um, at the time, uh, mother of a beautiful little girl. And during the time after um, I finished teaching that year, my father, who I was very close to, became very depressed. And since he sort of considered the doctor's office the next step to the undertaker parlor, um, when he sought medical help, I knew that he was depressed but um, mental health wasn't an issue at that time. It wasn't well talked about, and neither were the antidepressants that they decided to prescribe for him. So he kept his struggles very private. Um, I was only privy to a little bit of discussion. And on the first day of a vacation that he was going to use to finish his beloved cabin down in the River Hills, he took a gun that nobody knew he had packed in his suitcase. And he ended his life 
as well as his suffering. He was 52 years old at the time. So you're 26 years old and you're teaching and trying to raise a young family. Can you talk to us as freely as you're able, Marie, about, I mean, let's, let's just take that and put that right on top of what James has to say for a minute. He says, consider it pure joy when you face trials of many kinds. And this one, as I tried to say last week, this, this is in the context of a broader theology of suffering. There's a time for mourning. There's a time for grief. There's a time. And so in the broad picture, there's this encouragement to consider these things joy, but can you tell us just honestly, as freely as you feel comfortable, Marie, how did you really consider it in the moment? What was this like for you as you were going through this? I, <clears throat> excuse me, there were so many feels involved in this. I, I was devastated. Um, I was overwhelmed by the fact that it was all so sudden and um, little warning. And then on top of everything else, by somebody's innocent remark, I found out I was not only a child of suicide, I was a grandchild of suicide. Uh, the grandfather that I never really spoke to anyone about, he just wasn't there. Um, turned out he had ended his life in the same way when my dad was only 13. So that put me at very high risk for falling to the same darkness. And, and I'm very vigilant about my mental health because of that. Um, but one of, the, one of the biggest things I dealt with at that time was a very large amount of personal shame because um, my minister at the time assured me that there was no way my dad went to heaven. And he refused to even preach a funeral sermon, he just read the 23rd Psalm. And I have a very hard time listening to that passage, mm -hmm. even now. Yeah. Well, thanks for sharing that, Marie. And um, you mentioned shame, the sense of shame you felt. Let me ask you now, if I can, as you kind of look from this vantage point now, what are some things that you see now, you're just a few years past that now, of course. What, what, um, what has this grown in you or developed in you? How has this impacted your faith, your own um, journey here, now that you're this many years removed from that moment? Uh, what does that look like for you? Well, I, you know, I could have spent the rest of my life trying to unravel this mystery because um, I guess I have a good problem with this because I've never been able to feel the depth of the despair that my dad must have felt. Um, I, I uh, 
It's been a long journey, and the path hasn't always been straight. I'm an only child, and unfortunately, my mother was not able to give love and comfort and praise easily, so I didn't have a very good relationship with her. And all of a sudden, I'm, I'm left not only with a three-month-old baby, but I've got a mother who um, can't cope. So I have wrestled with God. Mm. Why me? You know, what, what are you asking of me? And Tim knows I've wrestled with God. Mm -hmm. um, I, I, my dad was my mentor. He, he used to frustrate me to no end because when I had a problem, I, I never got the straight answer from him. Mm. It was, you think it out. You decide what's good for you. Um, He set the standards pretty high, but him choosing to end his life in this way was just incom incomprehensible to me. Can I ask you, Marie, um, you mentioned this shame. You mentioned this, and we haven't prepared for this question necessarily, but it's okay. do you... If you're comfortable, would you be willing to talk a minute about that, about the shame you felt, or why? Why did you feel shame? Uh, because this was obviously not your decision, but can you be comfortable speaking yeah, to any of that? Yeah, and my life didn't stop. You know, I still had to go to the grocery store and all that stuff, but I'll tell you, um, there is a certain silence that is connected with suicide. Uh, and it was worse 50 years ago. Um, most of you in this church uh, maybe don't know King's IGA up on the hill, but that was our store of choice. I could silence that place just by walking in the door. Mm. And it was not a comfortable feeling. Um, yeah, that makes a lot, makes a lot of sense. Yep, makes a lot of sense. We don't know how to talk about it, and we don't find words to talk about it. It's almost like we're trying to push it out of existence because words create the reality in which we live. And so when I can't talk about it, I can't. It doesn't become real, uh, and I and I don't know what to do with that. It makes a lot of sense. Marie, this morning we talked about this idea of letting perseverance finish its work. Um, I'm I shared personally a little bit about just the the idea of engaging and how, for me at least when I'm tempted to disengage, to stop wrestling with God and, and others and choose to just withdraw or disengage. That invitation is there regularly when you go through pain. You're, you're invited to stop peddling, if I can use the opening illustration. You're invited to just pull away. Don't give as much love because you'll just be hurt again. Don't care as much because it won't matter ultimately. Just, just, just pull back, just stop, stop with the pain, stop with the pain. Can you speak to that in this process? Have you been tempted to disengage with God or others in your journey as you think about letting perseverance finish its work? Because now we're talking about a journey 
uh, multiple decades now is what we're talking about. So talk about, sorry, I didn't mean that. Uh, <laughs> like five years. You're really only 32 yeah. years old, Marie. Yeah. yeah. But can you speak to that? Have you been tempted to disengage? Um, and how have you kind of worked through that space? I, I have been tempted and I have disengaged. Um, I returned to teaching when my younger daughter was one year old. And um, I knew at that time that, that my marriage was not healthy for me, it was not healthy for my kids. Um, and I made some choices that, you know, you do what you think is right, what you pray about, but I waited until my daughters were through college, and then I ended a very unhealthy 29-year relationship. Um, and then it was time, God blessed me, time and time again, I got to, I went back to school evenings and weekends and got the master's degree I had always wanted. Now, young people, don't do it this way. Um, I got the master's degree in my groby little hands in 2003, and I retired from teaching in 2006. <laughs> so it, you know, I didn't get a whole lot of time to apply it, but that was a very big blessing from God at that time. Mm -hmm. um, my husband Rich and I are celebrating our 19th wedding anniversary today. Another great blessing from God, because uh, some of you know, some of you don't. Rich is the same friend who the night my dad died came and got my daughter and kept, he mm. and his wife kept her for a week because I couldn't. Mm. I couldn't. I just couldn't. Um, God has really blessed both of us with opportunities and sometimes has to knock us over the head, but yeah. we try to listen. You're right on. Um, Marie, what would you want to say to people here today? Um, advice or encouragement for anything going, anyone going through anything similar here today? What would be any words you want to share with these folks? Um, I think today I'm looking at this group yeah. up here. They really impress, they really impress me, yeah. they do. Um, you guys get extra points for sitting up front, but as I watch you, even from the back, I can tell that you're there for each other. And that's a big thing. Uh, I have a little slogan written in my notes here, when in doubt, reach out. So if you sense somebody is wrestling with overwhelming issues, ask them. 
you know, I, I notice you're really down lately. Are you having trouble coping? Um, if it's worse, ask them if they're thinking about hurting themselves. If you, if you get an answer that leads you to believe they are, ask them if they have a plan. But then you have to be ready because if they are at such a point in their mind, they will probably answer you quite frankly, yes I do and this is what I'm gonna do. At that point, help them to get some help. Don't take it upon yourself. Help them to get help from someone who's trained. Um, we have a, a place to call. Uh, it's there 24-7. And uh, they can give you a lot of guidance in that. Marie, thank you for what you shared here this morning. There's more to share, I know that. <laughs> um, and your story is significant. So thank you for what you share with us. And I hope you took that encouragement this morning. <laughs> I know there's some who aren't in the bro that always always are, but um, take that encouragement, let it, let it be there for you. And I'm always reminded of what Paul told Timothy in that situation. He said, hey, don't, uh, don't let anyone look down on you because you're young. But set an example for the believers in life and love and faith and speech and impurity. Those are great words for you, no matter your, your age. Some of you, not even sitting here, are young as well. We might not be, Marie, but there are other people out there. Marie, thank you for sharing. Um, let me pray for us as we wrap it up this morning. Father, thank you so much for the time this morning, for the chance to hear a little bit from Marie to get into your word again as well, and to kind of take this almost sometimes ideal view of the scriptures that works maybe in a laboratory. This idea that, hey, let, let's just take joy in our pain and let perseverance finish its work. But it is difficult when it meets real life, especially a pain and a loss of this significance. How does this really work, God? How do you really want us to live through this junk and mess of life? to allow these truths to, to bear upon how we lead, how we serve, how we grow as moms and wives and husbands, dads, uh, fellow strugglers along the journey. So, Father, sometimes the gap between what we think you might want us to do and what we think we're able to do is so significant that we just disengage, we pull out, we're done. The pain is too great. I pray that you would help us today to be able to, first of all, discern with wisdom if we need to leave a hard situation, but if we need to be in it and stay in it, I pray you'd help us to not to disengage, not to pull back from, not to stop wrestling with, not to stop giving up the hard questions or the pain of it all, but to continue to engage, letting perseverance finish the work that only it does, making us mature, complete in you. So Father, thank you for the time to be together this morning. We pray that you strengthen us with what we've heard today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Marie, thank you.